Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. I'm happy to say that uh, after several weeks of hiatus, we've got the Coach's Corner panel uh, discussion back this evening. going to start the show off in the first hour, uh, and then I'm going to be joined by a very special guest who was actually on the Women of Golf show this week on Tuesday morning with uh, LPGA professionals Cindy Miller and myself. Uh, she was uh, joining us, uh, Lisa uh, Gaudet, she was uh, on uh, the Women's of Golf show, as I said, Tuesday morning, and uh, I decided to bring her back Thursday night uh, just to expand the conversation a little bit. We obviously only had limited time uh, on the Tuesday morning show, so uh, we had her on that second uh, half hour and uh, just didn't get a chance to cover everything. So she'll be joining me uh, for my interview uh, portion after the guys are, are done here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, but welcome to the show. It's July 20th. We're uh, really coasting through the summer, it seems, and we're going to be in August here before we know it. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll be glad in a way because the heat down here in Florida is getting pretty fierce here the last few days, and um, I'm going to be looking forward to a little bit of a fall reprieve here. But anyways, enough complaining. Uh, glad you could join us live here. Of course, uh, as always, uh, we're live uh, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on uh, the blogtalkradio.com network. Just go to blogtalkradio.com and type in up in the search key Golf Talk Live or just extend it uh, forward slash golf talk live and that will take you to the main page uh for the live uh, broadcast again from 6 to 8 p.m central or 7 to 9 for those of you on the east coast uh and if you can't join us live just go to that link and scroll down to the on demand section uh, after the show has been completed of course and a few minutes for it to compile uh the auto recorded uh feature is in, of course engaged so you can listen to the recorded version if you're not able to join us live or you can listen to it anytime, uh, whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, and in the on-demand section of all the previously aired shows, up to including tonight's, uh, are there. So if you missed one, uh, not to worry. Just go back and listen to it when it's convenient for you. Uh, also, uh, you can go to Stitcher.com or iTunes.com, and under the podcast section, just type in uh, Golf Talk Live again, and, and that will take you to the uh, appropriate pages there uh, if you'd like to listen on to those uh, platforms as well. So that's iTunes.com and Stitcher.com. Uh, two great platforms as well that you can listen to it. But, uh, again, thank you for those of you tuning in and listening live uh, tonight's broadcast. Uh, also, if you want to call in anytime during the uh, live broadcast and speak to either myself or any of the guests, whether it be on the panel or on uh, my guest interviews on the second half of the show, you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you're welcome to email me any questions or comments uh, about the show to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody in the golf industry that maybe you haven't had the opportunity to be on the show, or maybe you have and uh, haven't been on for a while, maybe you've got something uh, new that you want to share with the audience, by all means, uh, feel free to reach out to that email as well. And again, it's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And also, as always, as most of you know by now, if you've been following the program for any length of time, uh, I post it through all social media, including Facebook, 
Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO in caps, and obviously on LinkedIn.com as well. So uh, go to any of those social media platforms, just type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you right there as well. Or as I said on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck, CEO. Got three great guys uh, on the uh, Coach's Corner panel tonight. Um, all of them have been on here before, whether it be on the panel or a special guest. Uh, first up, of course, is Pete Buchanan. Uh, founder and director of instruction at, and owner of the Plain Simple Golf LLC, uh, which houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing uh, Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's been teaching for over the past 30 years, and Pete has uh, really been simplifying his golf swing philosophy in an effort to make it, uh, well, what else? Simple for players to play this great game. Uh, also uh, on the panel tonight is Brandon Stukesbury. Been on the show many, many times, and particularly on the panel as well, and, and fast becoming one of my favorites. Uh, director of instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour Club in Macon, Georgia, and has been ranked in Golf Digest Best in State Instructor Rankings for Georgia, and has also been honored as the 2015 Central Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. Uh, specialized in competitive player development, enjoys teaching players of all levels from beginner right up to the PGA Tour. He's been an 11-year <coughs> member of the PGA, certified in instruction, uh, was also ranked uh, by Golf Digest Best Young Teacher, uh, also known as the top 40 under 40. Uh, Golf Range Association of America also uh, slated him as top 50 growth of the game teacher professional. He's an honorable venture from the U.S. Uh, Kids Top 50, and he's a five-time PGA Award winner as well as a best-selling author of The Wedge Book, which I happen to have a uh, copy of. And coming out this fall, uh, he's, gonna be, uh, he's told me he's coming out with the putter book, so we're looking to look forward to that, and we'll get an update on that uh, a little bit later in the, in the broadcast. And rounding up our uh, panel tonight is our special guest panelist, Brett Cohen. Uh, he's going to be uh, picking up on topic three. As you remember, we had, and we'll uh, give you an update on that as well. Uh, he's a uh, golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority, uh, founder of New York Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, Brett has been involved in the fitness industry over 17 years, specializing in working with golfers and individuals over 50, like me. And uh, is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications. Uh, TPI uh, Institute and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specializing in the uh, mature population, like again, like me, uh, Functional Aging Institute and National Academy of Sports Medicine uh, Senior Fitness Specialist. So, whew, wow, that's a lot to get out, guys. Guys, welcome to Coach's <laughs> Corner Panel. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you, Ted. It's good to be here. Thanks, as always, Ted. All right. So, guys, uh, as I, I sort of alluded to, uh, both off the air and, and, and touched very briefly here just a moment ago, uh, we had two previous uh, sessions uh, with Brett on here. And, and Brett, I'm going to turn this over to you in just a second. Um, but I just want to yeah. give a quick recap, so just to bring everybody up to speed. Uh, back on March 9th uh, on a Coach's Corner panel, uh, we hit topic number one. Of course, they all sort of fitness-related. Uh, 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 and the topic one was what you should do to prepare uh, for the upcoming golf season. Of course, we're well into the season now for many of you, uh, especially up in the Northeast. Um, so uh, you should have uh, done lots to prepare by now. Uh, on May 25th, we hit topic two, which is the most important piece of equipment you own, which, of course, is you. Uh, and this week, we're going to hit topic three, uh, what your golf pro doesn't know but should. So uh, without uh, further hesitation, Brett, I want to let you uh, take it over and uh, read out our opening statement and then we'll get into some discussion with uh, everybody on the panel, all right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to start the way I have on my previous appearances, which is to tell the listening audience that I'm the only one on the panel that does not teach golf. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a golf fitness instructor, <laughs> and as such, yeah, 
what I do is help golfers assess and overcome the physical restrictions that prevent them from playing the best golf. And I do that by measuring movement efficiency as it relates to the golf swing with the screening process. Uh, once I finish that screening process that I know what they can and cannot do, then I can create an exercise program uh, to help them overcome the physical restrictions that are preventing them from playing their best golf. Ultimately, all of us here have the same objective, and that's to make golfers better golfers. I'm approaching it from mostly a hardware perspective by working with the body and getting it to move better, and the pros uh, are using a software perspective, uh, trying to reprogram or program uh, the brain and to tell the body how to move. Well said. All right, so so let's do um, let's uh, again go through the the uh, the opening statement um, that we want to read, and then what I want to do is I'm going to get into uh, our first uh, uh, topic, if you will, our first uh, question of the night, and and pose it to the other guys. So um, mm-hmm. Brett, just go ahead and, and read the the uh, opening statement just to, to clarify uh, for everybody so that they understand where we are, and then we'll go from there. So the topic for tonight was what your golf pro doesn't know but should, and what that refers to is what I call the body swing connection, which is how your body uh, affects what we see as common swing faults. So I would start by asking, you know, uh, Pete and Brandon and yourself, like what are the common challenges that you see in teaching golf to a new student, or in other words, what would be the top two or three swing fault characteristics that you see in your students? Uh, that we could kind of correlate to a screen and a and physical restriction and give you some help there. Perfect. Um, Pete, I'm going to let you go first, Brandon, and, and then I'll wrap it up. And then, uh, Brett, feel free to, as each of us sort of um, uh, say our piece, if you want to jump in and, and add some thoughts or any suggestions that, that we can better utilize uh, the connection mm-hmm. with our students. So, Pete, go ahead. Uh, what are some things, as, as Brett was asking, that uh, – that you're experiencing with some of your students that uh, are maybe causing some restriction uh, with their swings? I think, first of all, posture is number one for me. Um, Getting them into a starting position that makes it, you know, easier for them to move. A lot of times they're in a posture that uh, doesn't allow the movements that we're looking for, Um, with the exception of, you know, I've, I've worked with a, level three medical professional TPI. So I'm I'm familiar with, you know, certain things that were movement can be an issue or stability or mobility can be an issue. But I think posture number one, I think um, I've run into some situations where some players are, you know, continually swinging the club out to in or over the top or whatever phrase you want to use. And it's more because of uh, shoulder restrictions than anything else. It's the only way they can go. And so you try to get the club on the inside and it just doesn't work. I've seen quite a bit of right. that uh, lately. And, um, you know, basically uh, for me, I'm always looking at, you know, how they can coordinate the arm swing with how the body moves. Um, I think that's a big challenge for a lot of them because, you know, with, if the posture is not right, if they don't have, you know, some sort of mobility and some stability in what they can do, then it's hard for them to get the arms and the body moving and sync together uh, to make some, you know, more consistent uh, strikes and consistent swings. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said, uh, Pete. Um, Brandon, what about yourself? What are some things, uh, uh, restrictions, I guess, if you will, that, that physical restrictions that you're seeing, uh, in addition maybe what Pete has already just laid out, that, 
that's uh, obviously causing some issues uh, for some of your students. And then I'm going to throw in a couple things that I see. And then, uh, Brett, I'm going to get you to sort of um, point out mm-hmm. some, some uh, you know, things that, that you do or, or uh, ways that we can help our students uh, um, with some, some uh, helpful tips. So, Brandon, go ahead. Am I allowed to just say ditto? <laughs> yes, the easy way out. <laughs> but that's okay. Look, I, I, you know, no, I, 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 I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I might add one. Uh, po- posture at address is certainly a, you know, an issue. I mean, the, 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 the lack of pelvic tilt is a real big problem for a lot of players. They just don't understand how to, how to move their, you know, their, their hips and their, the kind of their core and set up in posture. And then I'll go as far as adding the same issue and you might have been you might have been hitting on it when you talked about the the, the, the synchronization of the, the, the arms and the body. But staying in your posture and rotating enough through impact is a gigantic problem. I I deal with it myself as a player, um, and even more so I see it with, with my amateurs, whether whether they're kids or uh, middle-aged adults or in their, their later years, very, very few people have enough, you know, internal mobility, internal rotational mobility in their, in their lead hip um, or, or, or flexibility to be able to stay in that posture. And it's a real problem. Yeah. I, yeah. Well said as well. And, and Brett, just before you jump in here, I, I just want to add a couple yeah. of other things uh, here that I, that sure. I notice as well. And, and, and then I have actually a question for you based on what I'm about to say. Um, one of the things that I, I see, um, obviously particular with, and I'm going to zero in on the 50-plus crowd since I fall into that, um, unfortunately, at this point in my, my life, yeah. um, but is, is the actual restrictiveness uh, of the turn itself. Um, you especially see this in a lot of your older players, um, very restrictive backswing. They, they just don't have the flexibility anymore. And I've actually even now started seeing more um, where there's a restriction, believe it or not, in their follow-through. Um, just because, and I think where this goes into is a lot of your core muscles, they're just tight. Uh, probably their shoulder uh, muscles as well just don't have the flexibility and the strength anymore to support uh, the different movements that are required in a golf swing. Um, but I want to ask you, I guess, so those are two areas that I see is the restriction in the backswing and a restrictiveness even in the forward swing. Uh, or the follow-through, as, as it's uh, referred to. Um, but yeah. is this something, Brett, that is mainly common to older golfers, or is this something that, that uh, you're seeing as well with some of your students that come in um, that may be a little bit younger? I know you deal primarily with 50-plus, but yeah. obviously I know you've had some access to younger players. Is this something yeah. that's limited to the 50-plus crowd, or is this something that can affect really anybody? And then I want you all it, to respond to the other guys. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, I do deal with mostly the 50 and over crowd, but I have younger golfers. Two of them are in their 30s. Uh, one has less restriction in the hips and thoracic spine, the two areas where we need to move, uh, be the most mobile, uh, but yet he does struggle with some other issues that we're working on. And one who's just a few years older than him, who's only 33, uh, struggles with all of the above as much as some of my older golfers. So, uh, what you're bringing up is common across the board, uh, especially the ones that come seek my help. They're coming to seek my help because they know their body doesn't move the way it needs to to play golf the way they want to, and there's something they need to fix or get taken care of so they could 
play better. Um, so the reality is that golfers between 25 and 65, anybody in work in working stage of life, uh, they're becoming sedentary and stiff. Uh, it's just the reality of modern-day life. We're sitting way too much. Uh, this is common knowledge these days. And they come to a sport that requires ballistic rotation and expects to be powerful and consistent ball strikers, but those two just don't match up, as our golf pros just attested to. Right? So they have trouble getting in posture, maintaining posture, hitting the ball using the right kinematic sequence, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Uh, and those are usually a result of what we call a, a broken pattern or, or physical dysfunction, dysfunction, which is a great lead into something I think the listeners should know about. It's the way that I look at how the body moves or how efficiently the body moves, and it's called the joint-by-joint joint approach. Uh, because we've heard some of these terms, stable, mobile, flexible already. I'm going to give those a little bit more credence. So the joint-by-joint joint approach simply states that the body works in the alternating patterns of stable segments connected by mobile joints. And if the pattern is altered anyway, then we can expect dysfunction and predictable compensations will occur. Um, so one of the most predictable compensations is uh, in the low back. Our hips designed to be mobile, thoracic spine designed to be stable, the lumbar spine, the segment between those two is designed to be stable. Uh, so if we lose mobility in the hips and thoracic spine as a result of sedentary lifestyle or movement in one pattern, then we could expect excessive movement in the lumbar spine, which is not desirable. Too much rotation in the lumbar spine causes irritation, pain, and injury. That's why uh, low back pain is the number one injury complaint amongst amateur golfers. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that that's perfect. Um, so, so let me just uh, throw this out here then, Brett, and, and then guys, uh, both Pete and Brandon, uh, by all means, feel free if you've got any specific uh, questions that you might have for uh, Brett pertaining to this. But the first and foremost one, what's causing um, some of this inflexibility, if you will, um, with the older guy? Is this just an age thing? Is it just lack of movement? Or are you, I know you did touch on it. You said, you know, we're sitting down a lot more behind a computer desk and, and this sort of thing. But... Um, I, I want you to talk what are some of the common causes for some of this um, in addition to maybe aging uh, and then maybe give some, some options uh, for the guys here uh, on what they can do to maybe help their students gain, regain some of that flexibility. You're so that asking was for, the golf pros now, Ted? For me. No, I'm asking you. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. I thought you were asking uh, uh, Pete and Brandon. So, uh how to regain flexibility, it, to me it requires a, a three-step process, uh, and I write about this quite a bit on my blog. The first step is to have um, a habit of self-massage. Self-massage release is a, is a skill that you learn using a tool like a massage stick or foam roller or certain balls that are used to create um, or or change the density of the soft tissue that our body's made of. That's the, the myofascial connection. Uh, that tissue crosses all joints. So when we manipulate it, when we get a massage, we feel better, we move better. Uh, the second stage is manip uh, elongation, which is stretching. And, and I have 
my golfer stretch two different ways. One, in a static form, which is to take a certain muscle and stretch it for an extended period of time, and then in a dynamic form or in a pattern, uh, which helps them develop a better movement pattern overall. So manipulation of the tissue and elongation of the tissue are the two essential things they need to be doing to maintain flexibility and mobility in the body. Perfect. Um, exactly what I was looking for. Um, Brendan, I'm going to start with you this time. Uh, I've got a, a question that I want to ask you, uh, and then, you know, by all means, if you want to relay it into a question to, to Brett um, to, to get his thoughts on this as well. But, um, you know, obviously we want to be able to – we're not fitness instructors as, as Brett is. Uh, we're teaching instructors, so we're focusing on the golf swing. Um, we're, we're focusing on other areas uh, to help our, our players improve. Um, but how valuable is it for you to be able to isolate um, – what some of the physical issues or uh, impediments, if you will, uh, for your players, how does that help you then translate um, that information in working with your students? So in other words, you've isolated what the problem is physically. How does that help you as an instructor to then be able to work with a student to overcome some of those obstacles, possibly with the help of a fitness instructor uh, or certainly maybe some general uh, movements. How valuable is that information to you? Well, I, I think you might have asked two questions in there. I'm not sure you meant to, but the the, <laughs> I did. the first the first thing I'll say is it's it's hugely valuable to me. Uh, so much so that that I, I ended up going to the Titleist Performance Institute and going through Level One, so I had that knowledge. Uh, so I, I mean, ultimately, I felt like it was valuable enough to spend the money to do that to gain some of that experience on my own. Um, the reasons why it's valuable, which I think is probably your second question, is is how does it, how do I use it, and how does it help me translate information back right. to the student? The right. first thing it does is it, it it empowers me with information that keeps me from injuring them or asking them to do something that will ultimately hurt them. Um, my, my first suggestion is always to try to go get it fixed or improve it. And now that's not my expertise. That's where our other panel members right. come in, right? Um, but right. I always suggest that. Unfortunately, in my world, that suggestion isn't always heeded. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not right. That's not <laughs> ideal. But that's mm-hmm. the world I live in, right? right? And and so yeah. now I'm faced with someone standing on my tee, continuing to want to pay me money to get them better, and they're not going to do what's necessary from a physical standpoint to get there. And so I have to make sure I know enough about what's going on with them so that I don't give them something to do that hurts them, number one. Number two it allows me to know what I can and can't expect their body to do so that I can begin to formulate a plan with them to work around it. Let me give you a good example. If I have someone who has mobility issues in their right, or let's call it their trail shoulder, right, which is hugely important Mm -hmm. in being able to plane the golf club on the way down, okay? If I I can't get them... If I can't get them in that position because their shoulder is not mobile enough, 
and I tell them to go see a fitness instructor, and they tell me I don't have time for that or I don't want to do that or whatever, then I've got to start to have a conversation with them about how we're going to play a manageable fate. And I'm just going to have to live with the golf club being a little bit steeper than I would like it to be on the downswing because I can't ask them to shallow it because, A, they can't, and, B, they might hurt themselves trying. And until they can go and get some help to get mobility back in that shoulder, in my hypothetical example, then then that's the steps we're going to have to take. You're going to have to play with the shaft a little steeper than what would be ideal on the way down. It's going to produce a pattern that starts left and peels a little to the right. We've got to start figuring out ways to play that and manage that pattern. And so that's a hypothetical example of how I would use that information to try to translate improvement to my student, assuming they won't go the proper step to someone who specialized and get it fixed. Yeah, and, and, and Brandon, thank you for that. You, you raise a very interesting point. And, Pete, um, I, I want to kind of ask you a similar question, but um, given the example that, that Brandon has just um, related is a common one, it, even uh, regardless of it or irrespective of it being a hypothetical, it's a fairly common situation. Uh, Pete, I'm sure you have uh, some, uh, I guess, examples to share as well uh, that you've experienced. But, you know, I want to ask Brett after you talk, uh, Pete, um, a, a question as well, sort of a follow-up question. But um, Peter, what, what's some of the examples that you've seen out there um, of immobility, and are we doing the players a disservice? As Brandon has just pointed out, uh, we've certainly encouraged them to go uh, and seek out, uh, you know, proper help in that area. Um, either they're refusing to do so or unable to do so or whatever their, their rationale behind it. What do we do at this point? Do we continue on with the lessons uh, or do we sort of put our foot down and run the risk of, of losing that student? What's, uh, what's your thought on that and, and how do we best handle that? If we know it's the right move for them to, to seek out professional help uh, in that physical area um, and we allow them to not uh, you know, go that route, are we running the risk, as Brandon said, of allowing that player to be hurt uh, should he or she decide not to go that, that, uh, that route? Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I think Brandon said it right away. In that case, if, if they're not going to get any help relative to the situation, then we have to give them the alternatives. You know, what are the alternatives from a golf swing standpoint that they're going to have to do based on the lack of mobility that they have? And we have to give them options. Um, I know from my personal experience, you know, having a lot of ball flights, cause and effect help, it helps me also understanding a lot of these situations to be able to, you know, go in and know the cause and effect and know how to adapt that to the situation that I see and give the player the options to say, look, in an ideal situation, this is where the swing would be that I'd like to see. But based on the physical limitations, we can't go there. So we have two choices. We can get you some help so you can free yourself up to make this type of move, or if that's not going to be the case, here's what we have to do in reference to that to make the golf swing work and make it effective for you to play. And uh, as Brandon said, you know, in that particular case, my chiropractor, I can tell you right away, had the same issue with the shoulder, and until he got the shoulder fixed, there's no way that club was coming down from the inside. It just was not going to do it. 
And as soon as that shoulder yeah. was fixed and healed, boom, here comes the club. Now it's right down exactly where we wanted it. But what I did for him in the meantime, because he likes to play, is we gave an alternative setup and an alternative direction. And as Brandon also mentioned, uh, he enjoyed the fade for a while. That's the only thing we could do uh, to, to make yeah. an effective form of play, but also to not have any injury and further damage what was there. So, I, And along that line, too, I think it's also important you know, not to lose sight of in, in a TPI situation as well, the chiropractic side and being able to, to free the body up. Because um, I know from right. personal experience, I had, I had lost a ton of uh, range of motion. And um, with a few adjustments, I got, you know, almost all of it back. So for me, it was just a situation right. that I wasn't lined up properly. And once that was done, it, it opened up a whole new world for me. You know, I'm just, like mm-hmm. you, I'm 54, but approaching 50, I was yep. like, man. I've lost all kinds of flexibility, and that really wasn't the case. I was flexible; I just wasn't mobile. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a, a great point as well, Pete, and, uh, and thank you for that. You know, Brett, my my question to you is this: uh, you know, Brandon and, and Pete and I are kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, we're working with students, and unfortunately, um, you know, some of the younger students uh, have that flexibility, have that mobility. Um, that's, I would say, ideal, but as we work with some of our, our more aging uh, students uh, or pupils, if you will, um, more and more of the, some of the scenarios that you've just heard are, are creeping in there. Um, yep. I think one of the, the misnomers that a lot of people have out there is when they hear fitness or they hear um, you know, any other variety of words creeping in there, um, they're just very resistant. So how can we? How can you help us as instructors um, sort of get over that hurdle? Um, because we all have uh, golfers that are 50 plus uh, in our repertoire, and you know we want to be able to help them. We want to be able to improve their golf game. But if they've got sort of a, a mindset of you know you know X uh, X on the on the fitness side of things, I, I don't have time. What can you mm. suggest? Um, to simplify but still get results uh, so that they're not spending a lot of time, but they're spending a sufficient amount of time uh, and getting, I, I hate to use this term, but the biggest bang for their buck. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted to uh, mention something that Brandon brought up, which was that we don't live in an ideal world. <laughs> and in an ideal world, right. uh, the golfer would be receptive to all of the above. He's coming to you for instruction. Obviously, they're taking golf seriously. They want to play golf better. Uh, They may be slightly resistant to fitness. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's an economic issue. Uh, Could be a little bit of both. Not really sure. It's an individual case. Um, But ultimately, if we had our way, uh, you would have not just the golf pro involved, but the golf fitness professional involved. And then, as Pete mentioned, a medical professional when necessary. Sometimes I have to refer a client to a chiropractor, acupuncturist, et cetera, uh, to do work that I'm not trained to do. Uh, there are certain things that I can't accomplish through exercise. So that being said, I'm going to go into what we, we often talk about is our definition of what it means to be fit for golf, which is slightly different from what the general population thinks fitness or exercise is. Um, I think still the majority of people think that fitness is about looking good uh, or looking better. So someone that's typically lean or muscular looks fit. Uh, But golf fitness isn't necessarily about looking fit. 
uh, although that may come as a result of your exercise program. It's about moving better. So not so much about looking better, but about moving better. It's all about being able to move effectively and efficiently in order to produce a powerful and predictable golf swing with the minimal risk of injury. And in order to do that, you need to have the mobility stability requirements on board. It's like what I spoke about earlier, the body swing connection. Uh, the joints that need to be mobile need to be sufficiently mobile that you're going to be able to move into the position and not hurt yourself and, and hit the ball using the right sequence, which is going to be from the ground up. There are going to be resistance to that, uh, and I think both pros uh, hit the nail on the head saying you're just going to have to work around what that person presents if they're not willing to take a course of action to help improve how they move. Where uh, and and thank you for for that answer. Um, is there a, a I guess a point in time? Um, you know how does we how do we as golf professionals? I mean, obviously there there are some obvious situations, but um, if the individual has an underlying uh, health issue or physical restriction um, that maybe in, in the case of uh, Pete talked about, went to a chiropractor was able to resolve that. Um, is there a point in time, guys? That uh, and this is both for Brandon and, and Pete, that we might have to step away. And I, I sort of asked this earlier, but is there a point in time if we believe that there could potentially be long-term ramifications of not seeking that help, how do you decide when you, you put the stop button on, on that uh, instruction? Uh, Brandon and then, and then Pete, is there a point in time uh, when you put the stop on it? Uh... That's a that's a hard question to answer. I if if they get hurt, if I've done everything I can do as an instructor to make sure that they are are moving in a way that their body can support, and again, we've already established that that may not always be ideal. Uh, but but right. if, if if, if I if I if I've done everything I can do to make sure that they are doing something that their body can support, and they get and they come in injured, or they get hurt anyway, I'm stopping immediately. Yes, that would be the first hard stop for me. Uh, I guess another hard stop for me would be if they come to me and they say, "Okay, you know, this is what I want to do," and we discuss. Well, you know, in order to be able to, you know, to do this, we're going to have to do that because your body won't support that. Uh, and, you know, and we have that conversation, um, and the thing that they continue to ask for, they will never be able to do. I'll go back to my hypothetical situation of the, the golfer with the, you know, the, the dysfunctional shoulder. trail shoulder. If that guy is, you know, if he is, dead set on playing a ball that starts right and moves left, his body will not, cannot support that motion, then that's probably another hard stop for me. If I've had the conversation with them that, listen, you can't do this, we're not going to be able to pull this off, and they continue to be belligerent and argue, you know, and demand, then I'm probably going to have to to give them a hard stop. I'm not going to do that without explaining to them why. And here's why, because if they are that type of person, and honestly, 
in you know in 15 plus years of teaching golf, I've only run across that one time. Um, but it, but if they are that determined, they're going to go to somebody else who will give it to them. And right. before I let them do that, I've got to make sure they understand if you do this, there is risk of injury. And that's right. why we're not going any further. And so, you know, I think those are probably the two hard stops for me. Um, I, I can't see a situation other than injury or, you know, them just demanding something that I can't give them that would make me stop, of, you know, other than those two. Yeah, and, and the reason I asked that, Brandon, and, and Pete, I'm going to jump to you um, in a little bit differently here. And the reason why, I, you know, this is an important discussion to have uh, here tonight on the Coach's Corner panel is, you know, we have an aging population. Um, there's a lot of golfers out there that get into that 50-plus category. And, Brett, the next topic I want to get into here in just a minute uh, with you is the under 50. I know you don't primarily work with them, mm-hmm. um, but I want to talk about some preventative uh, things that the, the younger generation could do to avoid what, what Pete and I are going through now in our, in mm-hmm. our 50s. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but before we do that, Pete, you know, there's an aging population, uh, you know, that, that's uh, baby boomers that, that are coming into this, gen- this uh, era. And obviously there's uh, issues of obesity, of course, in some cases. There's uh, all kinds of joint and, and uh, muscle issues that, that have happened. And there's a, there's a sort of undertone, if you will, of people that have had frustration with their golf game that may not necessarily be from the instructional side, but it's because of the physical limitations. Um, so how do we as an industry tackle that, um, you know, that area, Pete, uh, as we get more and more golfers moving into this, this next phase of their golf life? Uh, we don't want them to stop playing, uh, but we want them to recognize that this is an important uh, part, if you will, of their golf game as well, besides just the instruction they need to take this more seriously if they hope to play, you know, well into their twilight years. Uh, your thoughts on that, Pete, and then Brett, uh, I'll get to your next uh, question. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, or one of the things I always do is, is I'm always going to talk about cause and effect. And if, if I ask them a lot of times, you know, what are you trying to do and what do you want the ball to do? And in most cases I get a, a pretty good answer back. This is especially if I have a new player and they'll, they'll talk for 10 minutes and, what they're trying to do has nothing to do with actually making the ball do what they want it to do. So we have to give them a little bit of understanding of, you know, what's supposed to happen. You know, what is club ball contact? What is going on? And you go from the ball to the club to the person and say, now these are the things that have to happen both with the club and with you. If you want to make these types of, of shots. So I think if we can educate them a little bit more on the cause and effect of what happens, and then we can go back to their limitations and say, now, based on where you are, you know, this is how we're going to have to approach this so that you can continue to play, continue to enjoy the game without getting any, any pain situations from where you are, unless we can get you some, you know, physical help, you know, send you to somebody like Brett who can, you know, help in this area. If they're not going to do that, then I think a little bit of education on the cause and effect. And I think Brandon's answers on, you know, the stop points were, were perfect. I, I was going to say ditto if you asked me right away. Um, I use my ditto card on that, but um, I think you have to, I think we just have to educate them. And I think, you know, to me, 
as an instructor, you know, I've been doing this over 30 years. You know, I, I grew up a lot of my instruction with John Jacobs schools and with John himself. And there's no better cause and effect guy that I ever met than John Jacobs. And it was such a great right. uh, training to have because I can, I can see exactly what all the causes are and the effects are and what's going to happen with the ball. And so you can work around all of that. If somebody doesn't have that knowledge, they're going to have a hard time trying to take somebody with limitations and get them to be able to produce a ball flight that's going to be effective for them to play. And I think it goes back to, you know, what we talked about before, you know, the, the player will go to somebody who they will give them what they want. And if they don't have that knowledge, then they're going to end up injured. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, you know, I, I guess really what we want to be able to do as golf professionals is obviously we want to be able to provide the best quality of instruction that we can um, to our students. Um, and as we've said many, many times here on the panel before, uh, I think all of us have reiterated this, um, there's also a part that the student has to play as well. They have to bring something to the table. You know, they're coming to us for um, basically to, to give them the tools necessary to achieve the, the best chances of success out in the golf course. But they have to bring something to the table as well um, besides their checkbook. Um, they need to be able to be willing and receptive um, you know, to go down the path of, you know, seeking out um, some sort of a physical training uh, regime to, to get themselves uh, golf fit ready, if you will. Um, and and w what I want to ask you, Brett, at this point, uh, and, and guys, if you want to chime in afterwards, by all means, is, you know, we've talked about the 50-plus the crowd and, and what's happened when they get into that. What can you suggest for the listeners out there, uh, for those that are – under 50, or maybe just starting out in golf, they're, they're quite young, got a lot of flexibility. Um, what should they be doing as a preventative maintenance, if you will, to avoid some of these issues? That, uh, obviously, they're not going to avoid them altogether, uh, but Brett, what can they do to, to sort of help with preventative maintenance, if you will, uh, so that when they do hit uh, uh, you know, 53, 54 here, as Pete and I are, um, they're going to be a little bit better off. What, what can you suggest uh, yeah. that we can do, um, and what can we refer to, to some of our students that they uh, they consider um, adopting for, for some of the younger ones? Right. So the younger golfers are, are going to have an, uh, the following advantages over an older, older golfer. Uh, one is they're going to be naturally stronger. They'll have more muscle mass, typically, uh, which will help with power. However, uh, they may not be that flexible, mobile, and stable, those, those three qualities that we look at in depth in the level one screen. Uh, so I would encourage those younger golfers, if they're going to exercise, of course, I think the ideal program would be an organized golf fitness program, which is going to cover their specific needs rather than what they think they may need without having a screen or an assessment, uh, is to spend less time lifting weight, which is what the younger guys want to do, especially machine-based programs. Uh, any exercise mm -hmm. done seated is completely dysfunctional as it relates to life and sport, especially golf. Uh, and if they want to maintain flexibility or gain flexibility and stability, if they're not going to take golf fitness programs, is to participate in yoga on a regular basis. Uh, that would be the, the quick fix uh, to spend one and a half to three hours a week in an organized yoga class 
to maintain muscle flexibility and joint mobility. So more more flexibility uh, in a yoga type program would obviously be more conducive to a, a better golf game than a weight routine. Uh, is that pretty much what you're saying? Yeah. I just want to make yeah, sure I'm I hearing. Think, yeah, I think. And I'm not talking lightweight. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking lightweight. Yeah, I'm not talking lightweights. I'm talking, uh, no. you know, as typically as especially young guys want to get into a little bit more. Uh, I won't say go as far as say bodybuilding, but get into a heavier right. witness. That's obviously heavier not golf lifting. conducive, correct? It's it's you could the one exercise where it's encouraged to lift heavy is in a deadlift exercise where you you could use as much strength as possible in your lower body. But aside from that, once we look at strength as it relates to golf, we're not looking to get larger muscles. We're looking to have smarter muscles. So not that muscles have a brain. It's really training the nervous system to perform better. And you do that by making the exercises progressively more neurologically challenging, not necessarily by adding more load. So that's by changing position of the the feet on the ground, changing position of uh, the mechanism that you're moving, whether it's a cable machine or a dumbbell or a kettlebell going from uh, a bar to uh, two dumbbells or two kettlebells where you have to balance each weight independently, and we just progress from there, which is basically making that person a better athlete, and we know that a better athlete has the potential to become a better player. And typically, uh, let me just add one other thing, and then I'm going to get the guys to jump in here real quick. Um, what typically would you recommend um, that students uh, or, or, or golfers uh, invest as far as time? What, what would be the minimum and what would be the maximum time that you would recommend if they want to get the best um, results that they invest on a weekly basis? What would be the minimum time that they should invest if they want to improve their golf game from a physical standpoint, and what would be the most time that, that beyond that they're not going to really reap, uh, reap benefits? What would you sort of the, the t- bottom and the top uh, uh, time frame, uh, Brett? The minimum amount of time, I, I think if you're going to cut it to a daily basis, you need to spend at least a half an hour on your body a day at a minimum. Uh, you could spend much more than that if you have the time available to you. Uh, less than that, you're going to decline fairly rapidly after the age of 30. That's just the bottom line. If you're not paying attention to your body, um, you're going to notice it 20 years down the line. All of a sudden you hear things like, oh, I used to be able to do blank. Well, the reason why you can't do those things anymore is you haven't tried to maintain those abilities. Sure, we are going to decline naturally as we get older. It's just a result of aging. Uh, But if you exercise smartly, you could slow it down dramatically. (laughs) And I can yeah. attest to that from yeah. personal experience. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with so, you. Um, Brandon, so I think, yeah, uh, Brandon, do you have – sorry, go ahead. No, please finish your thought. I, I was just going to say, I think, you know, for the listeners out there or anyone that's kind of on the fence about whether they should incorporate fitness into becoming a better golfer, the big question is just how much time are they willing to invest into becoming a better athlete, becoming a better golfer. Uh, we know that physical conditioning is – Part of that, all the pros are doing it. Uh, it's probably more important for the novice golfer, the amateur golfer, because they don't have those physical abilities that the pros typically do. Um, very quickly, guys, uh, uh, Pete, I'm going to start with you. And then, Brandon, do you have any 
um, specific questions that you'd like to ask while well, we've got them here uh, of Brett, um, maybe for yourselves or, or even just something that you like to sort of keep in, in the, the back of your mind for the next time you're, you're talking with some of your students that maybe some issues might come up. Is there any question that you have for Brett uh, that maybe you can pick his brain, uh, Pete, and then Brandon? Well, I think, you know, from a from a simple standpoint, I've, I've got quite a few players, you know, that are over 60. And so mm-hmm. if you were looking from a fitness standpoint to something that would be easy enough for them to do that wouldn't be too taxing, I know you mentioned yoga, but is there anything else that they can do, um, you know, just for their, their overall well-being, but also in relation to being able to perform better, you know, with, with the golf swing? Um, out, outside of using uh, a CPI-certified instructor that's going to be able to test exactly what their needs are, I'm going to say no. I think there's a lot of uh, people that default to Pilates because they feel like it works the core and it makes them longer, et cetera, et cetera. But um, my issue with that is if you don't transfer those physical abilities to a standing position, it will not carry over to function, especially in golf, because I've experienced that myself with a golfer who did Pilates for, and still does for quite a long time, and his body's completely dysfunctional as it relates to golf. So ultimately you play sports, on your feet unless you're rowing a boat. So if you can't balance on a single <laughs> leg and you can't create those those patterns of mobility and stability standing up, uh, they're meaningless. So uh, that's why I defer to yoga as if you're not going to do everything that's required, that's going to cover a lot of bases because it's going to p- force you to balance, to stabilize, to become more flexible, and to become more mobile all, all at once. Right, Perfect. and I, and I think and, and yeah, and, and Brandon, I'm going to give you a second here in just a moment, but I think just to, to sum that up a little bit, um, Brett, I think that it's not really the big muscles that I think most people have the issues. I think it's really the stabilizing muscles that a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, have issues oh, yeah. with because they're, they're, those are muscles that we don't really focus on uh, for balance and things. And, and I think that most well, problems with our golfers, I'm I'm pretty sure through a proper screening that you can find a lot of issues that our average golfers, especially as they get older, uh, are within that stabilizing area. They're, they don't have the same balance they once did. Uh, it's not that necessarily that the big muscles uh, don't have yeah. sufficient strength. I think a lot right. of it is their stabilizing has, has sort of diminished mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon, is, yep. is there, yeah, Brandon, is there something that you want to ask uh, Brett while well, we've got him here, uh, and then we're going to wrap up? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can give me a quick answer. Talk to me about the importance cardiovascularly as it relates mm-hmm. to golf. Yeah, uh, so in the level two screen that TPI has, we test for cardiovascular efficiency as well as strength and power. It is important for the golfer that wants to play more than one day in a row. I think most people could probably get away without training if they're going to play one day every now and again. But the golfers that I work with up here in New York that have a short season, they're playing every opportunity they get in the, over the summer. That could be three days in a row. So cardiovascular conditioning is essential because they're going to walk up to eight miles on an undulating course carrying a bag three days in a row, and that doesn't include the rotational ballistic part of the swing. So it's, it's really an essential part 
of your overall fitness program unless you're going to sit in a cart, of course, and that's not going to make you fit. Right. Yeah, and that's something, too. Let me just – I guess my question would be, since you mentioned it, um, would be this, uh, Brett, and that is for those – you know, there's a lot of golf courses out there, of course, that uh, are are cart-friendly. Uh, in fact, most of them now, especially here down the southeast, a lot of them require a cart just for speed of play. Um, what can golfers do while they're out in the golf course, maybe in between shots while they're waiting for their partner to hit, um, that maybe to, to get some of that stretching and mobility along the way uh, as opposed to just sitting there fanning in the golf cart for 18 holes? Is there something they can do as they're, as they're you know, getting ready for uh, without really holding things up or look like they're doing a bounce are, move out in the golf course? You were, at, you were asking me that, right? Yes, I am, Brett. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, there are. Uh, there are some stretches that are rather simple to perform using the poles of a golf cart. And uh, a colleague of mine down in Florida, they, uh, she goes by the name of Fit Golfer Girl, has a uh, nice little video on YouTube on how to do those stretches. I, I haven't shown those because my golfers walk, and I show a dynamic warm-up routine, which is done just using a golf club before you start playing. Uh, but you could access that on YouTube and just look up Fit Golfer Girl. And it's a couple of stretches for the lats, for the hips, for the chest. Very simple to do. Doesn't look like you're dancing out there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, guys, I want to thank you. Uh, yeah, I want to thank you guys for, for coming on Coach's Corner panel again. Uh, very interesting discussion. Um, you know, this is, a, I think, an area that a lot of people – um, not so much in the business, but outside of the business, really fail to focus on. Um, I think that a lot of times, you know, uh, students come to us with maybe some uh, behind-the-scene issues uh, physically that maybe we don't always catch, and it's good to have somebody that uh, focuses on the fitness side of things that can kind of point some of these things out to keep an eye for. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Pete and, and Brendan, I know that you've gone through the TPI um, program, so you're a little bit more aware than some of the other ones out there. But um, I, I think this is uh, an area that, uh, unfortunately, is going to get more and more prevalent as as our golfing population uh, ages uh, more and more. So this is something that we need to uh, sort of keep abreast of, if you will. And I want to thank you all for coming on the panel. And, Brett, uh, particularly thank you for, uh, for a great discussion tonight. Um, very quickly, you, um, I, I'm going to go with uh, Brandon and then Pete and then Brett. Uh, how can the folks, if they're interested in reaching out to you to learn more uh, or get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that, Brendan? Yeah, so every everything I have uh, is just my last name, Stukesberry, and then golf. That's a Twitter handle, Instagram feed, Facebook, webpage, YouTube. It's all under Stukesberry Golf. And so uh, you can find out anything you need from there. Uh, feel free to call or email or, or, or whatever questions or anything you might need. Perfect. Um, Pete, what about yourself? Pretty much everything I have is under plainsimplegolf.com. It's P-L-A-N-E, plainsimplegolf.com. All my contact info, all the programs that I do, everything's out there. So they can uh, seek that out and, and find out uh, what they need and, and contact me if necessary. Yep. Perfect. Uh, and, Brett, uh, for those that maybe need a little bit more help with the fitness side of things, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, everything is hosted on my website, which is nygolffitnessguru.com. Uh, there they could 
contact me through my telephone number, uh, business email address. There are links to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and they're welcome to download uh, wherever they live the free dynamic warm-up guide and keep it forever and use it. And there's a video clip right from the guide to YouTube so they could go out, uh, along with it anytime they want. Perfect. Well, guys, again, thank you very much for uh, for joining me tonight on the Coach's Corner panel uh, and for an interesting uh, discussion on the fitness side. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> on the fitness side of things, and uh, hopefully the uh, the listeners out there uh, took away some useful information, which I'm sure they will. And uh, keep up doing the great work, and I look forward to having you guys back again on uh, a future panel. So, uh, br- again, Brett, Pete, and Brandon, thanks again for your time as always, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Pleasure. Bye, Thank guys. you, Ted. Night, All right. Guys. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Good night. See you, guys. All right. That was my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Pete Buchanan, Brandon Stukesbury, and uh, special guest panelist Brett Cohen. And as I said, we were talking about the um, fitness side again, uh, topic three, uh, things that uh, maybe some of the golf professionals that you might be working with don't know but should um, we want to make sure that you guys are safe out there, regardless of what uh, what level of play you are, whether you're uh, new to the game, uh, whether you've been around for a little while and been playing golf uh, the better part of your life. Uh, it's always important that you uh, uh, do so safely. And uh, Brett Cohen, as I said, has been on the, the Coach's Corner panel and been a guest here um, over the last uh, couple of years, actually, uh, and has... Uh, certainly uh, offered some great advice for those of you that, uh, uh, you know, maybe you want to improve your game. It's not just about ball striking or making solid uh, contact with the golf ball all the time. It's also making sure that your body is functioning properly. And and for those of you who haven't done so, um, again, some of the instructors out there may have uh, certain certifications and things that can help you in that area, uh, or at the very least can certainly guide you in that area. So, uh, and direct you to somebody that is more qualified. But uh, if you haven't done so, what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to move on with the program uh, as I get ready for my next uh, special guest this evening, is that you get a fitness screening done. Uh, even if you've been playing golf for a while, uh, it's always good periodically to have that done just to see what your limitations are. Maybe there's some things, uh, you know, Pete talked about, uh, you know, having to go to a chiropractor, that some mobility had been lost over the last few years, so he went to a chiropractor uh, and uh, was able to get some adjustments and has gained back a, a good portion of that mobility back. So for you golfers out there that may be struggling a little bit with uh, your golf game and, and some of the flexibility, uh, don't just strike it up to, to old age like the rest of us are doing here. Um, uh, go seek out a, a golf fitness instructor or uh, somebody that specializes in the fitness side of things and make sure that they um, you know, prepare you properly uh, and make sure that there's somebody that specializes in golf fitness because it is different than uh, you don't want to just go to the gym and, and get connected with a, a fitness instructor that may not be able to address some of the issues and concerns that you may have out in the golf course, especially if they're not trained uh, in that area. There's all kinds of different types of fitness instructors. So you want to make sure uh, that he or she uh, is is within that golf wheelhouse. And as Brett also mentioned too, for those of you that maybe don't have a lot of time, uh, maybe you're doing yoga. That's a, a great uh, alternative as well to at least get some benefit out there that's going to help uh, stretch out the muscles and, and uh, help with stability as well. So for those of you that uh, uh, maybe do a little yoga, uh, kudos to you guys uh, for doing so. Uh, as I mentioned, um, 
at the beginning of the broadcast, my very special guest this evening is going to be uh, Alyssa uh, Gaudet. Uh, she is um, was actually on the show uh, Women of Golf with uh, Cindy Miller and I uh, earlier this week on Tuesday. In fact, uh, she spent a little bit of time uh, with us. But uh, let me just tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she is the founder and president of Executive Golf International and also the founder of Women's Golf Day. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and a few other things. Uh, but let me just uh, tell you a little bit more about her. She um, has 16-plus years uh, of golf industry experience in the U.S., Europe, and Latin America, including uh, executing the 2002 EMC World Cup uh, for the PGA Tour, uh, headed up sponsorship, marketing, and PR uh, for the uh, Latin PGA Tour, and uh, is very experienced in TV rights, negotiations, uh, sponsorship, procurement, and activation marketing, uh, player uh, relations, benchmarking studies, and large-scale uh, destination marketing uh, as well. So it's very, uh, very skilled in those areas. Um, but we're also going to talk about tonight, um, and I didn't get a chance, obviously, in Tuesday just because of the time, uh, but she's um, uh, published, or authored, rather, uh, a number of books uh, titling Two Good Rounds. Uh, first one, of course, uh, 19th Hole Stories from uh, the World's Greatest Golfers, uh, based on some interviews uh, with 36 of the top golfers in the world, uh, discussing fun, feel, and good memories on and off the golf course. Uh, the other next in the series, of course, was Two Good Rounds Superstars, uh, which encompasses golf stories from some of the world's greatest athletes, uh, as well as uh, two Good Rounds, Titans, uh, Leaders in uh, Industry and Golf. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight as well, as well as the Women's Golf Day. We're going to get her to give us a little bit of a recap. So uh, without further ado, let me bring on my very special guest tonight, uh, Alyssa Gaudet. Alyssa, welcome good evening. to Golf Talk Live. Hi, good, good evening. Good evening, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing, How are you Alyssa? guys doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, Alyssa, I've, I've already gone through uh, some of your many accolades. Uh, I thought I would do that before you came on so that we could get right into some discussion. So what I wanted to do, the reason why I wanted to have you on uh, Golf Talk Live as well as uh, earlier in the week with Cindy and I on the Women of Golf was obviously um, a little bit crossover of audiences, uh, mainly on Tuesday. Of course, we do get some men listening to that, but it's primarily our female audience that tunes in Tuesday mornings. Uh, and obviously Thursday evenings is a little bit of both, but a lot of men tuning in tonight as well. And uh, I want to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to do a recap of, of the Women's Golf Day. You can talk a little bit about that and sort of refresh uh, for those that maybe listen to Tuesday and for those that didn't hear the Tuesday broadcast, talk a little bit about um, the Women's Golf Day and, and how that came about. And then I also want to spend a little bit of time tonight to talk about the books that you authored as well, which I just read them out here just briefly uh, a moment ago. So let's start with, with the obvious, um, sort of how you got involved in the golf industry, why you got involved, and what, how you came up with the idea of, of a women's golf day. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, you know, I'm always, you know, I'd like to say thanks for, you know, having a platform to share our story. I mean, that's how, how people get to find out about it. So um, I'll, I guess, start with how I got in the golf industry. I have been in the golf industry for now 17 years. Um, I started, uh, I worked in Latin America. I worked out of base out of Miami, but uh, for Metro Golden Mayor, and there I met some people from the TLA, Toda Las Americas, so the Latin PGA Tour for sake of ease. And when I was in Argentina in 2000, I met uh, two great, or one great gentleman, uh, Ross Berlin from the PGA Tour, 
and he called me in, and he and Mike Bodney from PGA Tour Championship Management hired me to go work on the EMC World Cup in 2002 in Mexico, so I was there for about 18 months to execute that event with another guy. Um, just the two of us, you know, until it gets to the end. So it was an incredible experience. I'm so grateful to have, you know, you hear me say what happens in life. I never really had a mentor, but uh, it's kind of crazy that you meet somebody on a plane. And, uh, but, you know, everybody was coming back. It was pretty golf people from um, the Argentine uh, World Cup. And so I did run that 2002. I call that my master's in golf because, as mm-hmm. I say, I did everything from TV rights to tablecloths, literally. Um, negotiated because it was out of the package and everything else. Um, you know, it's not part of like a CBS right. or NBC because it was in a different country. So it was a phenomenal experience. I love the tour. Um, and from there, when I got back, I really didn't want to move around, which is kind of the track that you end up doing if you get involved in tournaments. So right. I started Executive Golf International because what I noticed was. Um, that companies were having a little bit of difficulty. It's Golf is very different than the NBA, NFL, MLB, in that it's not just TV sponsorship and you stick some billboards on the side. And, you know, they're also teams. These are right. individuals. So I think a lot of corporations were having difficulty. And, and it's not the PGA's tour's job to hold their hand and say, you know, hey, you could do this or do that. And mainly to catch the chase is activation. I, they were not able to activate. Yep. So, you know, when I have these words on my website of Executive Golf International, strategy, synergy, activation, and they may sound cliche, but it's really not. Because every single company, even the ones that are doing it well, I, I can go to the mattresses saying that, you know, I know that there's probably one area <laughs> where they're weak. So um, right. it's, it's that, you know, they may have a strategy, but there's no synergy between, okay, we're doing this and this and this, and then whether it's, you know, a, a major corporation, but they're not strategically aligning the different regions or, or offices or employees, I mean, down to that level um, to, you know, or activating, you know, they buy a membership and they don't know how to activate. You know, if you're getting a hospitality tent, you better be writing business. You invite your cousin and your friends, you're not going to make any money. You know, it's not going to be worth right, it. They right. turn around and say, hey, it wasn't worth it. You know, that's that's the interesting part. So I have been doing that since 2003, and uh, just myriad of all kinds of different, you know, the government to the Dominican Republic. You know, I'm a small firm, so um, – you know, we are lean and mean, and I have a bunch of people that have been with me for years, and they're wonderful. So, um, and that's what we do. And that's, you know, now, and then I took a break. That... The crash happened in 08 or 09, and that's when I wrote the books. Right. So I had always had this idea. I didn't go out saying, hey, I'm going to write three books. I, I wrote one. I did it with the publisher, Skyhorse, and the one turned into two, turned into three. You know, at three, you're a series, so... We had these ideas of, you know, I did. I always saw these articles in, you know, whether it was Digest or Magazine or overseas, of really interesting stories of maybe it was an athlete or a CEO that played golf. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if they were all in one place? So you could go thumb through and see, oh, let me compare, like, Ray Allen compared to, uh, you know, to a bullfighter in Spain or, you know, to an NFL player, you know. So that's what that is. That's in, you know, it's a kind of formula it's fun feel good everybody gets a few you know a couple pages and and the books well and i think yeah and i think it also and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh in in a few a little bit more in a few moments um but i think obviously what what's interesting about the books um is that it gives people sort of an inside look 
to maybe some of their favorite uh, golfers because uh, you know, obviously your first one was about uh, uh, golfers in, in, in golf itself and then you sort of gravitated to um, other areas of sports, uh, athletes and that, and then you sort mm-hmm. of wrapped it up it with some the of the leaders. Book, yep. the, the, yeah, the, the leaders uh, in, in uh, business industry and, and sort of how they've gravitated to golf and why and, and that sort of thing. So you got some uh, a great uh, broad spectrum in that. But I want, I want to ask you something because you, you mentioned something a few moments ago about, you know, a lot of uh, organizations and that that don't always hit all, all three of what you talked about, the strategy and um, and that sort of thing. Um, is this something that I think, is it, do you think partially because there's been such a divergence between the leaders of, of industry and, and some of the workers in the companies that, that there's not a communication? Because if we're going to be honest, let's look at it this way. The leaders are not the frontline people in any corporation. It's the, the working uh, class, if you will, that the front, like if you use a bank as an example, um, it's the tellers, it's the people that are writing the loans and things that, that are working with people. Do you think that there's been a disconnect? Um, and is this why you've sort of fallen into this um, um, ability to be able to help a lot of these companies maximize uh, these benefits that you're talking about? I don't think it's a disconnect. I think there's, there's something to be said with, you know, the top level, the C level is going to say, hey, we like golf, we're going to get involved, and we know this is our target market, right. which people do. So that's the no-brainer. That's why you get finance banks, because it is a more, you know, there's a target market. It's a more affluent group, so that makes sense. The disconnect is right. is that Mercedes' job is to make Mercedes. They're not in the golf industry. And just like if I try right. to go out and build a car, it's the exact same thing. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a little more difficult than people think, or there's more nuances. In, right. You know, just, you know, so what they end up with is, you know, a basic Camry, instead of a, because they don't know the industry, yeah. they don't know what they can and can't do and stuff like that. That's what I think it's more. It's not, you know, and people try to do the best they can, but they don't know what their options are. They don't know. Right. You know, should they be getting more, you know, they have to look internally. And, and then when I sit down with a company, and Mercedes has not been a client, but, it's an easy example to point to. So is it better for you to spend $5 sure. million, and these are fake numbers, and put your logo on some right. person's bag, or spend $5 million and be the title sponsor, and you have hospitality and everything, or is it better to spend $5 million and do a dealer incentive program where all your dealers play golf and everybody meets in Stuttgart, you know, at the end of the year, which has absolutely nothing to do with any tour players or anything. That depends on do you need branding awareness? Do you need right. – um, engaging with clients or do you need internal rah-rah you know so each one of those as you can see would be addressing what it is that the company needs and at the end of the day i always remind them is like what you really you tell me what you want to do like we want to be in golf and it could be a lawyer or a doctor or anybody or companies i'm like no you don't you want to sell more mercedes so let me help you sell more mercedes through golf but then you get them to dial down. We want to sell more XL 5000s. Okay, now we're talking. Now how do we back into right. that? And that's how I feel to be the most effective for any client. And like, you know, right now I have a client in Waterville in Ireland, you know, and they're just, you know, did a big capital investment to their clubhouse and everything. And it's, you know, time for them to refresh and, you know, let people know that they're, um, you know, Number one in Ireland, not not Northern Ireland, because Royal County Down and Royal Port Rush always come up uh, above, but in the Republic of Ireland, um, you know. So, 
stuff like that, you know, what do you want? You want members? You want this? You want that? And that's just really just, you know, making sure that people are thinking. They get excited, especially at the C level. They want to get involved. They're like the the rah rah. But you got to make sure, that, like you said, your team there can activate and you know what the plan is. Right, right. Well said. Um, now you you've started. We're going to talk about uh, obviously the Women's Golf Day, but. Um, You've obviously had the opportunity uh, in your career and in your life to do a lot of travel, not just uh, throughout the United States and, and obviously in, into South America, but you've had the, the opportunities to travel uh, to Europe and other areas in, that, uh, in, in your journey. What were some of the things, um, obviously, you know, the U.S. Is a, is a huge golf market, uh, probably the largest golf market in the world. Uh, uh, Europe, of course, following, and then now you've got in some of the Asian uh, areas like uh, Korea and 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 so forth that are that are coming through. But what was some of the dialogue that you had in preparation for setting up the Women's Golf Day? Um, obviously, you started in one area, but it's it's broadcast uh, literally all over the globe. We'll talk about that and give us maybe some numbers. But what was some of the dialogue that you had with some of the different areas, uh, and why you felt it was important to initiate uh, this particular event? Right. So the event first started, for those who don't know, it's a one-day, four-hour experience for women and girls. And uh, first two hours is you either take um, two hours of lessons or you play nine holes. And then there's a hard stop, and then there's two hours of socializing. So, you know, any anything that anybody was to try for the first time, usually you don't have experienced people mingling with, with new people that are trying something. So that's we realized was the game changer, um, that there was a comfortability. And all the points that the data points that said women are, you know, apt to try, but then are quick to leave because they don't feel comfortable and everything. So we did take – I did take a look at that data. And the, as you now just know, this is what I do for a living. So this is – you know, strategy. Right. So I took it to the data points and I'm like, how can we address these? And we did. Um, you know, made it comfortable, made it – it's four hours. It's only two of real golf stuff. And even if you're taking lessons, you know, it's 45 minutes on the driving range, 45 minutes chipping and putting, and the pro's not sitting with you exclusively. So it's very easy breezy. Um, what – you know, we – I went to the management companies uh, so and, and to the CEO, so Dana Garmini at Troon and Eric over at Club Corp and, um, you know, the Billy Casper folks, and really said to them, the, re- the reason why I'm doing it, while I would love to, I'm not the USGA and I'm not, the, you know, PGA of America. My, our, our job is right. not to grow the game. It, it, you know, we want to do it. What I saw was that NBA, NFL, MLB, I go to all these conferences throughout the year, sports, you know, not just golf. And they're seeing women as economic influencers, and we are missing the boat. And just a light bulb went off, and I said, this is really how we're missing the boat in this industry. Because they're seeing women as economic influencers, like if you notice some of the commercials for the NFL, it's a woman's voice, and she's like, I bought my son a Bengals shirt, my daughter-in-law a Patriots, and blah, blah, blah. That right. they're obviously the ones that are consuming and buying. And that's just a, right. you know, even if it is a $40, $50 shirt, our industry you know, a majority of the revenue generated from our industry is homes on a golf course, memberships at a country club, or golf vacations. Those are high-ticket numbers, far higher than tee times. So that's where seeing women as economic influencers becomes extremely important. And if one more person would say to me at, at our, you know, industry golf conferences, oh, my gosh, we've got to get millennials. How come we don't have millennials? I literally was, like, ready to jump out of my chair and strangle somebody. So when I give a presentation, I usually start by saying, hi, you know, and it is mostly men, but 
Hi, everybody. I assume you all know where babies come from. You know, everybody gets a chuckle. Right. <laughs> so the millennials don't pop out as millennials. <laughs> so before right. they became a millennial, somebody would have taken them to the golf course. Somebody would have to drive them. So whether it's tap, jazz, ballet, baseball, soccer, and that's where they miss. That's where we miss the boat too. I mean, it's really not like if you didn't want to push golf down women's throats, you really need to see them as uh, a gateway to the revenue. For, for big purchase items that are important, those are family decisions, and for getting the youth involved, no matter what the sex. And so that's how Women's yeah, Golf Day was kind of in the and the you know the management companies got it big time, they got behind it, and then the that was year one, year two. We um, this past year, I spent the entire year reaching out to all the major organizations, so PGA of America, um, you know. Um, the National Golf Course owners, European Golf Course owners. I spent a good three months in Europe. I also went to, you know, for this and other business, but to to circle back to one of your questions is Dubai. I had never been to Dubai, and I was blown away with how modern, how embraced, how how they've embraced golf, how many golf courses, the quality. Right run by a lot, a lot of expats there and what have you. But, um, you know, I wanted to also, with the, all the craziness that's going on, I mean, I think that people have really also, we've touched a nerve in that it's not just, hey, let's all go out and play golf and it's just for women. We have created community, and I think with all the craziness going on in the world, it's one day and everybody just gets together for one singular purpose and it's very peaceful and happy and joyous and it doesn't matter what religion you are, what color you are, what uh, language you right. speak, or religion you practice. So we had, I'm ridiculously proud of our four, you know, four Muslim countries that were part of this right. with no glitch. In the entire 704 locations in 46 countries, we had four more countries than the Olympics had. And that was the Olympics that was just held oh. the first time since 1904. So I'm beyond proud of our team and everybody that worked on this. And in two years, after for all the years we've been in the golf industry, you know, I, I in everything I've ever done, even with the World Cup and everything, I am just – this is like a child, and I just, I, I'm happy. If I got hit by a bus, you know, God forbid, I left, you know, I left yeah. a nice fingerprint. I hope it goes on. And we're just seeing lots of ways that it's growing, Most, mostly, like I said, community, women connecting with one another. You know, it's a message of, you know, getting together, and this is fun, and this is nice, and get your families involved. And, you know, it's kind of, I think people want that. We love technology, but I think there's going to be a pushback, and we're going to see people want to have human interaction. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I think you know people are starting to to recognize now. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of advantages uh, that we've seen over the last you know decade or so with with technology and that both in and out of the golf industry. Um, but I think people within the golf industry are starting to recognize that um, that this big push for technology, uh, albeit was um, you know the folks I think had the right idea, but they got too dependent on it and and actually confused a lot of the, the average golfers out there with all this you know these uh, phrases and and buzzwords and things like that that it actually worked against the industry a little bit um i, I wanted to ask you something just 
kind of what we've been talking about here about Women's Golf Day and that. I was at the PGA show. I didn't go this past year, but I went the previous year. And one of the things that I noticed about that's still lacking in the golf industry, even though there's a lot of women in the golf industry, there doesn't seem to be as much of a concerted effort um, to really bring in more women entrepreneurs uh, as there should be. I mean, as you said, you know, you said Tuesday with Cindy and I, um, you know, women really are um, the driving force in the economy when it comes to making purchases and making uh, household decisions and things like that. And yet in the golf industry, all of the advertising and marketing seems to be geared at the guys. Um, mm-hmm. What, in your opinion, what in your opinion should the industry do if they really want to make it make women feel um, as part of the group? What what changes would you like to see uh, the PGA or, or uh, of America and, and other governing bodies within the golf industry do in order to be more embracing for women? Um. Well, I think you know. We did it. I did it. <laughs> That's one of them. There's a change that we wanted to see happen. And, you know, uh, if you want to see the change, be the change in the world. <laughs> and that's the number one thing is for women right. themselves in within those organizations to them to kind of push forward. And at, that's what I think is, is the best advice I would give. Um, I, you know, I don't have a secret, you know, either we got lucky or I've been right. paying attention a little for, <laughs> or it's got, you know, I also think, you know, and I'm one thing I'm very cautious to is I love guys. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is not a male right. bashing, whatever. No, it's of course just not. the reality of the situation is it's still it's at 87 percent. Will that change? Yes. There's lots of young junior golfers and girls that are really embracing golf. So it's going to just take time. It takes generations. Um, so I think that women within their own just move up as you get. Just like it mirrors corporate America, you know, or any other industry, as you get more women in the C-level or in management positions, um, if people are asked, if we're asked our opinion, we're going to be able to tell. You know, I mean, the irony is not lost. Obviously, coming up with something, a woman might have a better idea how to market to women than a couple of older gentlemen, you know. So maybe that's why this was successful. You know what I'm saying? I just... And I think it, it takes that. So if they get into senior management or what have you, I think you see more and more of that starts happening. Yeah, because, you know, in all honesty, I think I was trying. I can tell you, I got four guys that, that went to bat, and one is Steve Mona from the World Golf Foundation. When, you know, when you're a first year anything, especially in our industry, and it's not technology and who, right. hot and cool and everything, it, these people, have, you know, that's like sticking your neck out big time. Right. You know, because and he did. He got behind it with the World Golf Foundation, which is a consortium of all of the organizations. So that was huge. So then next came Mark Gore from Club Corp, the CMO, came on with 160 properties straight off the bat, no negotiation. And, and they are allowed. Mm-hmm. They are able to do that because they own their own properties, whereas the other ones are managed, right. whether it's Tune or or or, um, or or Billy Casper or some of the others. American golf, what have you. Um, so that was huge. That's number two. Number three, David McLaren from the European Tour. He also runs European Tour properties in the senior tour there. His daughter just started playing on the LET. He has two daughters, very successful. He's felt their pain. He's watched it working for the European Tour. The irony was not lost on him, what they have to do to just be on tour and play and you know, financing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he got behind it, and he got the European Tour properties on board. 
And then the fourth is, you know, all these people came on between the first and second year, uh, except for Steve Mona came on the first year. Anthony Scanlon, the head of the International Golf uh, Federation, which oversees right. all of the golf federations around the world. So now when I tell you the strategy, or at least the people that I sought out to help champion this, you know, it takes a village. This isn't, I may have thought of sure. the strategy and put a team together, but it takes these people to step up and execute and do it. And these guys did. And we, they, it's unfortunate that you weren't able. I know we'll have another one because it was really was stand up, sold out, whatever you want to call it. We had a press conference uh, at the PGA show and it was standing room. We, we couldn't believe it because we just put it out there. You know, we didn't ask people to RSVP. But I had those four gentlemen I just mentioned, and I moderated. Yep. So gratefully, they all happened and were able to come and be there and participate. And I did have somebody say, like, oh, why aren't there more women? Can't look at it that way. It's changing. I'm a woman. Yep. I was there. So, and, right. you know, one to four ratio, that's pretty darn good. It's probably better than what we have right now. You know what I'm yeah, you, I, I agree. That's indicative of what the industry is also you know, one to four players as women. Just, I, yeah, I just he and when everybody like look at you know we're showing like look at how far we've come. D- don't say why is there not. We're doing it. So I think uh, focus. We, I'm really trying to keep the team and everybody focused on the positive because what we've done is unfathomable in two years. With by, by the way, everybody volunteers. There's no money behind this. My company put the money up. Right. So <laughs> that's that's even crazier. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, think about it. The U.S. Well, and, and, done this. Anybody, you know, we did this with everybody volunteering and and my company putting up all the money that we needed for you know the web development, the website. That guy gets paid. <laughs> Nate who does a phenomenal job, right. but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly, and, and and you're exactly right. You know, and I think that was a great approach to take. I mean, obviously, you know, as time moves on, you, you're you're going to be looking at at other uh, sponsorships and things like that to help come in and share some of the load. But that's a smart way to do it because a, a lot of a lot of great projects like this that get initiated sometimes if they focus too much on the money aspect and not on the the actual cause or at the, the event or what have you then a lot of times doesn't get its full due, if you will, because they're focusing too much on the dollars and cents. So it was good that you sort of took the bull by the horns and said, okay, we're going to shoulder the load financially. We want to get this thing started. And then at some point down the road, obviously, as you mentioned on Tuesday, you know, you're going to we be looking at – We have reached that point uh, in, in fact, the road. <laughs> right. Well yeah. well, yeah, of course. And that's understandable. But, but you went about it the right way. Right. Um, we we uh, put the passion first. We put the passion and the integrity of the thing because it did start as a passion project. You know, I didn't sit there and go, hmm, how can I make money? You know, it really was like, man, I'm so frustrated, and there's got to be something easy. And I make it abundantly clear that we don't compete with anybody. We are a one-day, one-off. And and I've heard people, you know, they counter that like, oh, well, you know, why does anybody want to get involved? It's just a one-day thing, whether it's sponsors or what have you. And I said, you know what, so is the New York Marathon. And look how well they're doing. That's right. <laughs> so right, exactly. we are like the New York Marathon well, inverted. Instead of everybody coming to us, we go to them for that one day. Right, and you've done well. And just, and just uh, I know that these are, are, are a little bit rough numbers, but just to give an idea, because um, I know uh, I was certainly impressed, as was Cindy on Tuesday, um, the participation. I mean, you, you talked about the, the venues, uh, over 746 uh, 
uh, or 48 countries, but uh, just ballpark, what was some of the, the, the hard numbers, if you will, of participants uh, this past uh, June? Yeah, that, that's a, like it's harder for us to nail the, that number down. Sure. The, the, the hard numbers that we know factually, you can even go to the map and see it, is the 704 locations in 46 countries. Um, a conservative number would be 50,000 for this year, and it was 20,000 last year. Yeah, and so you, I think you mentioned it was, yeah, 60, right, it was a 60-some-odd percent increase from the previous year. So obviously, you know, that's a substantial uh, number in itself to focus on. Um, no, I, I think what you're doing, uh, Alyssa, is fantastic. You know, I've said for a long, long time, uh, and this was the one thing I never liked about the golf industry, is that it was always very inclusive um, and, and for, you know, generations, it's been a male-dominated sport. Obviously, uh, the women of the LPGA, uh, some of the founders of the LPGA, the few that are still with us, um, you know, did a lot of hard work and legwork, if you will, to get, um, you know, where they are today uh, with the LPGA. Um, but they're, they're still, this industry is still very slow to move, and I think what you're doing is helping to make aware to a lot of women and particularly young girls out there that there's a place in this industry for them if they choose, whatever it may be. They could be uh, teachers, they could be players, um, they could just be business people that maybe use golf as a, as a tool or vessel uh, in order to help their, their own company uh, that they're working for or their own business that they're developing. So there's a lot of different options, and it's a great social thing as well for women. So you're really opening the door by, by featuring this event, and it may only be one day, but that's all it takes is just one day to, to put a spark in somebody. It does, and you know what? Even though it is one day, we have a monthly newsletter. We have created a membership right. so that offers you know throughout the year, and, we, and we're just helping to point people. Once again, we're not competing. We're not going to do, like, you know, LPGA scores or anything like that. There's too many people, if anything. We're partnering more and more. We had a phenomenal um, support from Golf Channel, and I know that they're going to probably do even more so next year per my conversations. Um, But they spent the whole day. They did a lot of coverage. You know, we had um, that week fell on the tournament that's in Memphis, the St. Jude Classic, and they got involved. So even on the men's PGA right. Tour that Tuesday, because it's a good thing because we're Tuesday. We're not competing with anybody. We're highlighting. They also, um, you know, participated, like I said, um, and had their – they have an executive women's day, and they had, um, you know, the – talk about connecting all the dots, and it's somebody on our team who thought of this, Cynthia Howard, who works for the PGA Tour. Um, she's on our WGD team. Uh, was that the girls from the first tee came over and taught classes, just you know, a little putting and stuff like that, to the women that were attending the Executive Women's Day, which is something they always right. host on the PJ Tour host on a Tuesday. So you got, you know, three different organizations. You know, women they did it as yep. Women's Golf Day as well. The Long Drive fell on that day, and we have another woman that's on our team, Lisa Longball. She was competing right. on that day. So we either get dumb lucky or I don't know what, but we have yeah. a lot of good. You know, and, and, you know, thanks to the PGA Tour, which of all the organizations has the least, you know, impetus to, like, you know, what's in it for them kind of thing, you know, compared right. to all the other governing bodies. Um, but, you know, even the RNA knows about it. And like I said, I did, I, I really, and I, you know, you're talking about a traveling. You're right. I travel, do travel extensively, and I'm, Leaving tomorrow for Ireland, and I'll be in Europe for the next two months. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, 
how we uh, think got to spread it around and you know thanks to some of these great people well and i think what i like you know really about the event in itself um Alyssa, is is the fact that you know there are a lot of the ewga there's a lot of great women's organizations out there that focus around golf that have uh, great memberships very large memberships uh, but for somebody that's never really been exposed to the game um, and maybe as a newcomer, uh, that can be a little bit daunting. You know, they don't want to necessarily jump into an totally. organization because they, they, you know what I mean? So this gives them an, uh, an opportunity to kind of get their feet, or, you know, dip their toe in the, in the water, if you will, to say, okay, am I going to even like golf? Why don't I just go out, participate? I don't even have to play golf. I can just get some great lessons or, uh, you know, spend a little bit of time just learning about the game. And then gives me an opportunity to socialize with other people, um, you know, like-minded people that have a similar interest. And then, you know, the world is their oyster, if you will, from that point on. So I like the approach and what it's done is it's just sort of planting that seed, if you will, um, for women and, and young girls particularly um, and then where they go from there is obviously entirely up to them. And right. I think this is something really that the golf industry has needed for a long time. And, and uh, I think it's a, a fantastic uh, uh, event that you're, you're doing. And, and this is why I think it's, it's taken off as, as well as it has. And, and uh, kudos to you for, for uh, coming up with the idea. Yeah, thanks. You know, like I said, too, we really do. That's one of the things I, I with our team and with the locations and everything. And we, I think, um, you know, keep expounding on whether it's the the website or our messaging is, it's okay if you just want to play, you know, one time a year, twice a year, just for your corporate outings. You know, it really got like, it was like an all or nothing. You either learn to play and you play 18 and you play all the time or you're not a golfer. That's baloney. And because you better be looking because those women, it's more important to have them play once a year. If they want to play nine and wine yep. three times a year or be part of their country club, it's better because they're the ones that are going to bring the kids. If we keep turning them off, we're the only industry, I've said this at these sports conferences, we're the only industry that right. has ne- negative connotation, sports widow or golf widow. Why isn't there a soccer widow? Yep. And there's a soccer mom. All she's doing is driving them. She's not playing soccer three times a week. Right, right. So why yeah, isn't there a golf mom a- you know, that drives – I mean, you think about it. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Golf widow. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And also another thing too that I've noticed, and and again, I know things are starting to change. Um, you know, golf courses, um, particularly uh, as you pointed out earlier, with the recession that that hit uh, a few years back, uh, a lot of golf courses some didn't survive, and and others uh, have struggled to survive over the last uh, you know seven eight years. Um, you know, one of the things that they're really missing the boat on is now some of them certainly have reached out and, and have some great LPJ professionals in there and that, but really, um, you know, for the pro shops to really compete, um, they need to be more women friendly and more inviting for women to want to come in there because they're still a little bit stodgy in some cases. You know, you walk into some of the, the, the pro shops and it's a very male dominated theme and, uh, you know, they're really missing the boat, not letting some of these ladies, especially when they've got um, a lot of, you know, female membership and they're not really, you know, focusing much on them. So they, they really need to change their business model, I think, to be more inclusive and not just sort of go down the same path. And I think this is where you're going to see, as you pointed out earlier, you know, a lot of women, uh, you know, women have a tremendous amount of buying power in, in the world and uh they need to, I, I think, spend more time focusing on that and addressing that more uh, efficiently. Would you agree with that, do you think? Yeah, I do. But, you know, I think it's 
you know, unfortunately, I don't know what these what people read and what they do. And this is once again goes back to our original conversation of, you know, Mercedes. His job is to sell Mercedes. I don't know right. if the golf pro. I mean, and most of these guys, we were warned. That's why ours is super turnkey. They get a toolbox with all yep. the marketing materials and everything else because I know that they're tapped out. So I don't want to like poo-poo all over them if they're not reading. Right some type of statistical data, which I happen to be a nerd, and I love that stuff. Like, I eat that up, <laughs> these data st- studies. I mean, I'm like, mm, yay. You know, I mean, it's completely nerdy, and I love it. I don't know why, but I do. So I read well, all of those. But if you don't look at the general population and what women are spending and what they're responsible yeah. for, and, and I and when, when I can tell you, because you know, I do speak um, – at occasionally or what have you at, at events and things, and when you when I sit in that room, and it is like I said, largely all men, and it's in golf or whatever. You ask them, are who does the spending in your household? Or not tell them, yeah. ask them. Who's make who's booking the vacation? I know this data already. Like unless the data is lying, something like ninety four percent of all vacations are planned by the female in a in a household. Sure, and that's exactly right. And this goes to to what I was talking about earlier. You know, when you go down to the PGA merchandising show, I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, uh, great show and very interesting show. But at the same time, um, you know, they they need to to really think about the marketplace um, a little bit differently. And I'll give you a good example. If you look at the average purchases um, for men in golf, I mean, most men might buy a pair of golf shoes once every few years. Um, I remember my own sister, when she first got into golf, um, she had multiple pairs of golf shoes, multiple outfits, um, and that was when she first took up the game. And obviously it has expanded and, and uh, you know, over time. But, you know, so when you look at even from that standpoint there, I mean, they're missing a huge opportunity, I think, in my opinion, um, by not really going aggressively after the, the women's market because women are going to buy, um, I think, more aggressively than the men would. So, you know, that's yeah, why I was saying... Yeah, you got to follow off. the data, though. Because no, I, it, 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 I wouldn't say aggressively. I just think fo- they should focus and look at it strategically because right. you may say that, but once again, if they're coming in and then they're leaving, the long-term plays with the guy. So they sure. may come in and get all excited and they buy the stuff, but then they're leaving the game, which is what the data has shown. Right. So then that's not a right. good investment for that pro to have invested in that because they're not really sticking around. So right. I think a, cautiously doing it because until, you know, it's, like a, it's a very much a chicken and egg puzzle. So if they're coming in but then yeah. they're leaving, you've got a one-shot wonder where you know the guy is going to consistently come in and he's going to buy. And if you look at the it, – it's, it's very difficult for these guys, and I really wouldn't – you know, it's all coming down to everybody. I try to be very cautious without, like we all say, without knowing sure. and really delving in. I'm just so in, entrenched in this through my clients right yeah. now that has nothing to do with Women's Golf Day is that if the margins aren't there, the guy's not going to carry it in the store. Right, so sure. what's happened is the Amazons and the you know Golfsmith's gone, but PJ Tour Superstores is tough to compete with bulk, just like Walmart. So the sure. stuff that they're going to carry are the stuff, and I've had this conversation because I've even I can tell you, it, it, you know, it's, it was a wonderful thing, and I'm so grateful 
is that every twist and turn where I was like, oh, no, you know, this economy, nobody wants, a, uh, you know, wants any consulting services at this time, and then I get into writing the books. Well, <laughs> the tables got turned, mm-hmm. and now I'm the guy trying to get my stuff into a pro shop and a green right. grass and, so I'm t- and a PJ Tour Superstore and a golfsmith. So I don't say this like these, this is data. This is me actually doing it. So I yeah. have compassion because if the margins aren't there, they're not going to do it. At the end of the day, it's a business. So you can say, oh, yeah. wouldn't it be nice to have more? You've you got to look at why the guy is doing it. What they're really selling is, and I, they told me they have to just sell the stuff that they know people are going to need when they show up. So it's becoming more and sure. more, you see it, the golf balls, the glove, the stuff that you forgot to get or you didn't have, that. But the big <clears> ticket <throat> items, a set of clubs or whatever, yeah, they're – they're not there's no margins and no. they're going in other places where it's less expensive right well sure yeah people aren't buying i mean most people aren't buying golf clubs uh at a pro shop anymore because it's just they're they're over i mean uh, and the truth of the matter is there's too many other discount uh, areas uh stores That's and, and outlets yeah, exactly. out there that can that competing i, I think really that the the underlying thing that the, the industry needs to focus on is what you pointed out which is you're exactly right is that why are women uh leaving quickly. Uh, that's a, a question I think that they need to, to get the answer to and say, okay, you know, there's a lot of women getting into golf, but they're as quickly or even quicker leaving uh, the game. So that's a question I think that they need to address first. And then I think the others uh, will follow suit. Uh, Alyssa, I want to just take the last few moments because t- I can't believe how fast this time is going, but um, just to talk a little bit about your books. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about obviously the first one here. Uh, you, you had an opportunity to uh, write about some great uh, uh, some of the greatest golfers that maybe just name one or two that, that were in the book. And then obviously we want people to, to get a copy of the book and, and delve into more. Uh, and then maybe just, um, you know, talk, touch on, on each of the books a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That'd be great. So first of all, I think the fun thing to know is that the series, um, you know, they're all called two good rounds. So if anybody wants to get them, right. Amazon is probably the best place. I think the sports one might be sold out. You might be able to get it on there. I'm not sure it was sold out. Um, two good rounds is a play on a round of golf and a round of drinks. And the logo, Mm -hmm. if people Google it or whatever, we'll see, it's a martini glass with two golf clubs. So the thought was, you know, and there's no crazy stories or anything, but what you're hearing and the questions I'm asking are all the conversations that we all have when we go to the 19th hole. You know, you you start striking up, like, oh, how, you know, Rayon, how does this compare to basketball? Or something you'd want to know when you're doing that. So the first one, as I mentioned, yes, um, 36 of the top golfers in the world, male and female. So, I mean, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I have Jack, Arnold, Gary, I have Keegan, I have Kuchar. So young, old, international, everybody's got their right. country flag, and they tell me their favorite drink. That's all three books. That's the one thing that they do tell you is tell me is what's their favorite drink. And they don't have to drink. You know, some people have, you know, lemonade, Nancy Lopez's milk. Um, so right. this, this isn't like raunchy stories when you were under the table. It was more right. one of the moments you remember <laughs> post. You know, and some of them, Ian Baker Finch is funny. You know, he won, he won uh, the British, which is very timely right now. He won the British Open or the Open. And yep. um, he filled the claret jug with red uh, Australian wine and started from 18 with his coach and his wife. And they walked to the um, green and the security guard came out and was like, flash it, and like, get ready to toss him off, and then realized who and what it was. So, you know, those are the, wouldn't you want to, like, 
I'm like, when, and I haven't sure. been in the industry, had heard a bunch of these stories. And I just thought, like, everybody would love to know these. You know, like, I think just guys or, or girls or people that play, even, you know, it was, like, kind of fun, you know, to hear these stories that maybe you didn't know that that happened or he did that. Because um, these are things right. you kind of like here when you're at events and parties and you get to, you know, because of having worked at the tour, you know, I've been blessed to go to the Masters, like, 13 times, and you go to the events and things, mm-hmm. and you meet the people, and you know them now after the years. So that's what that is. Obviously, Mr. Palmer just passed away, so I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity sure. to to meet him a number of times and what have you. Um, that's the first one. The second one is the athletes, and that I went right. out of my way to also make sure that it was representative of more than our U.S. So I do have cricket mm. and NASCAR and um, Formula One. I have like one of the top bullfighters in the world who actually mm. caddied for Jimenez in at the Masters. Oh, wow. And he's almost mm. every single, I think every single person in my book, almost everybody, I'm not sure about Charles Barkley, but everybody's a single-digit handicap, which is another thing. So I think when you go through there and you see, you know, Ray, I keep saying Ray because he's barn on my favorite. He's a scratch golfer. There's probably not a nicer guy on the planet. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you just, I think you get to compare him, Kelly Slater. You know, he's another guy doesn't drink. Yep. A Bodie Miller skier, so I got all, a lot of different sports and really well represented. Dale uh, Jarrett, uh, Jerry Bailey, horse jockey. So if there's, I felt like if there's any sport that you ever liked at all, even Olympians, you know somebody's got to connect with somehow. Even if you don't like golf that much, you would definitely, <laughs> you know, there's an athlete in there. You're like, oh, God, well, I really like, you know, Jeremy Roenick who bought his a golf course in his town that went into insolvency and brought it back to life in Massachusetts. I love that story. Him and his dad, you know, and I think his dad runs it. So how would you know that? Like this is, so this is what this book is. And they're all format, the same thing. Everybody has a couple pages and these are kind of the stories. And then the last one is, I know you said it's business people, but it's even more interesting than that. It's not just business people. Hmm. It's 33 CEOs that own their own golf course. Not with a membership. Oh, wow. They own it outright. That's right. I right. was like, okay, these are like the big dogs of the, you know. Sure. <laughs> you've got enough disposable income that you're just going to build your own golf course. So we're talking about Herb Kohler, Mike Kaiser, um, you know, um, oh, he's escaping me from Reebok. Um, that owns Liberty National. Paul Fireman mm-hmm. that was with Reebok. You know, these, these people own those golf courses themselves. A lot of them are, you know, private or what have you. Um, and, you know, Mike Kaiser, everybody knows, right? Bandon Dunes, you've heard of it. Yep. Does anybody know how he yep. made his money? Do you know how he made his money? No. He's the guy that started Recycle Greeting Cards. Oh, really? Wow. Would you have ever guessed that? <laughs> no. In a million years, wow. I would have never said, hey, this is how the guy made his money. He's the guy who started Recycle Greeting Cards. And he used to be this, like, famous Burton and other... I mean, I know I'm dating myself right. because nobody uses greeting cards anymore, yeah. really. But um, so this is also what you learn, like how they made their money, what, you know, and what they, um, how they made their money and what they, um, you know, uh, what, what prompted them to want to um, buy a golf course or get in the golf industry effectively, even if it's very actively as Mike, uh, even Greenbrier is another one. I mean, there's plenty of them and from around the world as well. You know, I'm big on the, as you sure. know, <laughs> Uh, global right. aspect, um, which I'm very excited because I'm hopefully going to get to meet because we did the interview um, because through a translator and everything is Hans Peter Porsche. So from the Porsche family, mm. 
and I will be in two weeks in Hamburg for the Porsche Open, a European tour event, which I've never been to. And oh, wow. I'm very hopeful that I get to meet. I'm going to try to track him down, see if he's there, if he is. Um, <laughs> I owned an 87 911 for 20 years. It was my only car, and I got it a little later in life. So, yeah, hmm. I am a huge fanatic. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that. So that's that's that last book. And that, to me, was very interesting, uh, Women in Business. Um, Sheila Johnson is one that's in there. She's a woman. Mm-hmm. She's co-owner, was co-owner with her husband of BET um, Network and sold yep. that. And she right. owns, you know, um, Reunion and a number of courses and um, hotels and things. And she owns a couple of courses. But, um, you know, I, I searched out women, too, which is a little bit harder. The Remax, husband and wife, they own um, a golf course. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the three books. And like I said, it's and everybody I do always ask them, what's your favorite drink? They got to tell me that's part of the gig. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> excuse me. What, what's interesting about that too is, is, you know, this really gives people a, a very interesting perspective from all, uh, genres and, and all, um, you know, areas of, of not just business, but golf, um, and, and, the athletic world and, and just goes to show you exactly. that how big golf yep. is really how big golf is, you know, not just internationally, but with, you know, crossing over. I mean, you look at so many of the major league baseball players and hockey players and things like that, that at some point throughout their lives, if not as a youngster, but later maybe in their careers, all sort of gravitate. So it just shows you the power of golf um, mm-hmm. and that sort of brings them all together. And even some of the best athletes in the world will tell you, that they were more frustrated out in the golf course than they ever were in an event or uh, a game that they might have, you know, even a World Series game. I've had, I've, I've listened to interviews where people that played in, in World Series said that they had more frustration out in the golf course than they ever did in a World Series. So, you know, mm-hmm. it just goes to show you that it's sort of, it's a great equalizer in many, many ways. Um, Alyssa, it's been a, an honor and a pleasure to, to have you uh, again. I enjoyed uh you know, our time uh, on Tuesday with uh, Cindy and I, and uh, as I said, I wanted to have yeah. you on tonight here just to spend a little bit more time. And uh, I think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing and, and uh, kudos to you. And, and please, uh, you yeah. know, keep me updated and guys, with please, like, what's you know, going I know you used to keep saying guys, but like it takes the guys to tell their daughters, wives, mothers, aunts, coworkers. So womensgolfday.com, <laughs> guys can share it. We had a lot of guys that did do it, you know, um, right. they're part of the quotient too. So what's the date? I know they can go and get it off the website. What's the date for 2018, June what? June 5th, Tuesday. It's always like the first okay. Tuesday in June, yeah. Right. So go to womensdaygolf.com no, women's uh, golf for day. more information. Oh, sorry, womensgolfday.com, my apologies. Uh, womensgolfday.com to find more information about that. Maybe if you're interested, as you talked about, uh, in, in sponsoring uh, some of this, there's lots of information. You can get in touch with Alyssa there uh, through her website. Um, Alyssa, again, thank you very much, and, and uh, keep up the yeah. great work. And please uh, please stay in touch and let me know if there's anything that I can do to, to help uh, continue to spread the word. Yeah, what you're doing is awesome. By uh, yeah, I, we uh, you know greatly appreciate um, giving us this airtime and talking about it because the more people that know, obviously, it, it makes our job easier. And I think the more people that can get involved, it is you know it takes a village. Can't say it enough times. That's right. All of us, if we want to change, right. we gotta help make the change. Help invite people in. I agree 
I agree 100%. Alyssa, again, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live, and I look forward to uh, having you join me again on, the, on a future program. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great night. All right. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, it was my very special guest, uh, Alyssa Godet, uh, the founder and president of Executive Golf International and also the founder of Women's Golf Day. And as she just uh, very eloquently pointed out, uh, the next one will be June 5th of 2018. And if you're interested in, in learning more about this, uh, uh, maybe you've, uh, again, this is for men and women, if you want to learn more about this, maybe you've got a daughter or maybe your wife might be interested. She's never played golf uh, maybe would be interested in, in, uh, in stepping out and, and enjoying this event. Um, they're all over, uh, literally, as she said, uh, this past uh, June was in uh, over 46 countries around the world, uh, over 704 venues. Um, so it's uh, growing and expanding. So there's, I'm sure, going to be one near you uh, or certainly within a stone's throw. So go to womensgolfday.com to learn more about that. And again, uh, very special thanks as well to the Coach's Corner panel tonight. It was good to have the panel uh, back on the air, Pete Buchanan, Brandon Stukesbury, and of course, special guest panelist, Brett Cohen. Thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job. And um, I always appreciate the uh, Coach's Corner discussions. Um, and just a, a final thank you uh, to all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And it's uh, really, I, I can't express how much pleasure and enjoyment I have uh, with uh, having a number of highly talented coaches, teaching professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs like Alyssa stop by the program. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have uh, truly helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, the show is, is growing and expanding, uh, also as is the Women of Golf show with uh, my good friend and, and partner in that program, uh, co-host uh, LPJ Professional Legends Tour player Cindy Miller. That, of course, is every Tuesday morning here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Women of Golf, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, and you can listen to that show as well, and some great women uh, in golf and great business leaders as well that are help uh, supporting the, the women's uh, golf movement, if you will. Um, and also every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, don't forget to join me here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, also a special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. And uh, it's a great uh, publication here in the southeastern part of the United States if you're interested in, in maybe coming down here, uh, whether it be uh, Texas right over here to uh, northwest part of Florida and all uh, states in between here. If you're interested in playing some great tracks down here, uh, get yourself a copy of the South Coast Golf Guide, and you can do so by uh, a number of ways, visiting some of the local courses here if you happen to be in the area. And if you're planning on a trip and not quite here yet, go to southcoastgolfguide.com, and you can request a copy sent to you, or you can just find some of the information right on the website right there uh, and uh, pick up a guide when you come down here to the area for your vacation or uh, maybe a business trip. Uh, also, uh, special thanks to Meredith Kirk, Meredith Kirk Golf, uh, out in the Myrtle Beach area. She's a great uh, LPJ teacher professional. Uh, as well as uh, a, an author and entrepreneur and just a, a great asset to the game. She's out in the Myrtle Beach area, so just look for uh, MeredithKirk.com is her website. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for all of your uh, support. Uh, Nikki and, of course, this lovely wife, Tiffany, have always been a, a good supporter of the program. Uh, Nikki, of course, is a golf professional himself, so uh, he understands uh, that we've got to keep doing all we can to spread the word. So thanks, guys, for all of your continued support. Mr. Bernie Pinder, uh, owner and founder of Ontic Golf. Uh, go to ontickgolf.com and you'll see a great uh, line of customized putters, uh, one of which I have, of course, very uh, proudly uh, play uh, each and every uh, time I go out there with my Ontic uh, Golf putter. 
Uh, also, Sean Kelly, owner of LinkedGolfers.com, a great social media platform. Uh, Linked Golfers, of course, uh, got its start on LinkedIn.com. Uh, it's the largest golf group uh, in there, and of course, he's taken it out to uh, enhance the social media platform uh, with LinkedGolfers.com. So check that out as well. And of course, lastly, uh, but certainly not least, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle uh, Golf Solutions. Um, thanks, Peter, for all of your continued support over in Ireland. Uh, I appreciate it very much, and uh, keep up the great work uh, over there as well. He's a, a great uh, teach professional as well as a club fitter as well. So thank you, Peter, for all of your uh, support of the program. And on that note, I want to take this final opportunity to once again thank all of the uh, guests on the show uh, tonight. Uh, thank you for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy. We're all uh, busy uh, with other uh, areas in our lives, so I know it's not always easy to give of your time, so I appreciate it very much. Uh, and on that note, uh, God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.